0: So, hey, this is a really unusual episode for us, but kind of cool. In the first part, you get to see our take on this commission court case. And then within 12 hours, a verdict was delivered, not expected. And you get to see our thought processes after the verdict. We took both of those, we put them together in one episode. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome back to the What's Your More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris. And today we are going to talk about what's going on in the world of real estate brokerage commission. And by now, when you're listening to this episode, the verdict is already out. And it's a massive one at that. I mean, we're talking $1.783 billion awarded in settlements uh, to the people of Missouri that went into the Sitzer Burnett case. And we're going to get into that a little bit here. But if you've ever used a real estate agent, if you've ever been a part of a transaction, whether you're a mortgage lender, real estate agent, or a consumer, buyer selling, this episode's for you. And I look forward to discussing it and getting right into it for you here. So right now, we just had a class action lawsuit that was filed in Kansas City, Missouri in a federal court uh, for the Sitzer Burnett case. And we have a verdict that kind of has shocked the entire industry and put tremendous pressure on the real estate industry now in the form of buyers commissions being paid for by a seller and then seller commissions being paid for by a seller and now being separated, which is called dual commission, but now being completely separated. And so we we have some defendants in this case. And the defendants in this particular case were five major defendants, two which went ahead and kind of bowed out early, earlier, excuse me, earlier in settlements, uh, which was anywhere relative. They did like 83 and a half million. They got out of it REMAX. they got out of it 55 million before the case even was heard by a jury. And then there were some remaining defendants, which were going to be Keller Williams. National Association of Realtors, and then Home Service of America. Those three hung in there and did not settle early as the defendants. And they went to they went to a trial and eventually ended up losing that trial and a record decision that was done in about 12 hours. You know, when we first recorded this episode, we were expecting like another week, maybe a week and a half of jury deliberation. And it was done like that instantaneously. And so that's kind of the, the odd part of this, the shocking part of this. But let's get into a couple of things. So you know, one of the things I want to talk about as a lender as we're watching this closely today is there's some unintended consequences that are going to come through on this. And we're going to get into that later on in this episode. There's quite a few of them there. Um, They could just change the way we expect buyers to buy homes now, or or maybe even the way we expect real estate agents to operate moving forward. And there's a lot of things that we'll discuss. This is a lengthy episode, but I think uh, we tackle as much as we can based on what we know now. And what's gonna be the interesting outcome of this is those unintended consequences. One of the things I think from the, you know, the opening part of the trial is that this was referred to as a refund case. Um, That's interesting because it's also being designed as an antitrust uh, case, like a monopoly style case against NAR with their inner workings of the MLS. But, and we'll get into that too, but the reality is this was proposed as a refund case from the very beginning for the plaintiffs, Sitzer and Burnett against the defendants. And the defendants, excuse me, and the plaintiffs in this case, these are the sellers. These are the people of, uh, that live in Missouri that say, hey, listen, if you bought or sold a home between April of 2015 moving forward, this class action lawsuit that came about in 2022 is, is going to appeal to you. And, you know, what, what they're trying to state here is this. If you're the seller, and it's, it's the most simplistic format, if you're the seller, traditionally speaking, you sign a listing agreement with a dual comp that says you will pay the listing agent a percent. And of that percent, that will be shared with a buyer's agent to attract buyer's agents to come bring buyers to the market to show your home. And this is where the design flaw of the lawsuit came in place. So let's jump right into it. sir. So how did all of this start? Well, in the, excuse me, in the Sitzer-Burnett trial, and then there's two of them that are kind of taking place right now, but in this one, this was a combination of essentially filings that took place in a Missouri federal courtroom um, stemming from April 2019, where a seller, Joshua Sitzer, and another plaintiff, uh, essentially both sold homes in that region of Missouri in 2017 and both paid what they call a broker commission. Now, when you sell a home, you and you you enlist a real estate agent, you have what we call a, a listing agent, which works for a brokerage usually, and then you have a buying agent that brings the buyer to the table, and that's how the transaction kind of starts. Now sometimes there's not real estate agents involved, but in this particular case, we're discussing when real estate agents are involved. And what you agree upon as a seller with the brokerage that's representing you is a commission. And in this particular pay- case, they agreed upon a 5.5% commission for each property being sold between the two individuals that I spoke about. And 3% of that commission is what you call shared commission over to the buyers brokerage. So if a buyer was to bring a potential excuse me, a buyer's agent was to bring a particular buyer to the table, they would receive 3% of that 5.5. The question is, how do they know how they're going to get paid? How do they know how much commission they are to receive? Well, that is put into the multiple listing services that I'm going to refer to as the MLS moving forward here. And so the multiple listing services discloses that information to the buyer's agent and lets them know exactly how much commission is being shared in this transaction. Now, in this particular case, the plaintiff has accused major brokerages that participate in these MLS sections of Missouri in particular, that they were conspiring to require sellers to pay inflated commissions. Now, let me kind of explain what that means. So, they are saying that, hey, you as a real estate agent conspired with another real estate agent for me, the seller, to pay more commissions. Now, what they mean by more commissions is, in this particular case, the 5.5 that they agreed to in a contract, also in that agreeing that whether the seller agent keeps all that money, or it's a, it's a shared commission, they agreed to it and it was fully disclosed. But they're saying that was inflated by 3% because a buyer's agent received 3% of that 5.5, not the seller's agent. And, you know, if you've been in real estate, this has been going on for years. And I'm going to kind of take you back how we, how we got to that point. But this is kind of the the argument that's being made here. If you're in real estate, you're going, this is the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. If you're not in real estate, and you're a seller, you might go, well, this, this may have some legs. So, Let's kind of dive into it a little bit more here. So this case uh, started to become a class action lawsuit in April of 22. So what they did is um, went out and reached out to other particular sellers in that region. And basically we're talking hundreds of thousands of people have joined this lawsuit at this point. Now, at the same time, this was being filed in as a class action and being developed into that, there was another seller in another region in Minnesota. His name's Christopher Moeller. And he filed a class action against the same defendants Insinuating the exact same thing, and he sued uh, brokerages and and NAR in this case. He he put the National Association of Real Estate Agents in there as well. And so this is interesting because he is saying, "Listen, I paid six percent seller commission on this case, and two point seven of it went to the buyer." Now it doesn't matter that he paid six and they paid five point five. It's somewhere between five and six is usually customary. But again, he is stating in this case that I overpaid by two point seven percent because the seller's agent shared that with a buyer's agent. Now that case is scheduled for trial next year. So this one's on the horizon of the one that I'm talking about, which is Sitzer and Barnett, but Barnett, excuse me. But the reason this is so imperative is because some of the issues that are stemming from this. So I'm going to dive into my notes here and kind of go through this here. But sellers are essentially trying to challenge a long-standing rule by NAR for so many years. And NAR is the National Association of Real Estate Agents. And to, to be a part of NAR as a real estate agent, you pay a membership fee, right? And so NAR is so much the governing body, but they represent real estate agents at a very, very large level. And sometimes it's through legislative matters. Sometimes it's through, you know, uh, definitive matters. In this particular case, they are the largest association for real estate agents. And in some case, and the only one, but essentially, what they're saying is they're challenging the way NAR has set up this what they call dual commission structure um, through the MLS. And so one of the things is under those rules, sellers basically seller brokers, the people you hire as a real estate agent or the brokers they represent are required to offer compensation to a buyer's agent to get listed on the MLS. So in order for me, if I wanted to list my home with a real estate agent, in order for that real estate agent to put that listing on the MLS up until now, they would have to co-share and tell exactly how much of that commission they were going to split with a buyer agent, a prospective buyer agent that brings a buyer to the table that closes on this home. So that's kind of the standard status quo that's been going on. And the sellers is um, basically saying that this is, are saying this is wrong. But this has been an informally known structure as coupled commission for years. Matter of fact, it goes back to 1908 system that's been there for a very long time. I mean, NAR adapted this system from a predecessor in 1908, and- all of a sudden, here we are in 2023. And it's a problem. Now, I'm not advocating for real estate agents right now. And I'm not advocating for sellers. But I'm just saying it does seem to be a little um, late in the game, if you may, to say, Hey, listen, this is this is a problem. And it's and it's been a problem since you know, this seller sitzer and Burnett feel like they were jaded in a particular situation. Now, Here's a, here's a couple of things to take into consideration. Like The rub for me in this is that the plaintiffs take aim at the numerous mechanisms in NARS rules. Uh, for example, they accuse them of allowing buyer brokers to misrepresent their fees and restrain negotiations around compensation. Now, what they mean by that is they're arguing that under these rules, the buyer broker is supposed to work against the seller's interest by negotiating a lower sales price. Now, for me, logic tells me if the home sells for more the agents make more because that's how the commission is structured it's based on the final sales price of the home so if they sell the home for more both agents make more i don't i don't see how they could i don't see how negotiating a lower price point benefits anybody and i don't see how that's someone being jaded i i don't understand that logic in there however it's you know i'm not an attorney and i'm not a counsel and you know i'm i'm not the one filing the records here but to me that notion doesn't seem to make sense here that a seller that, that you would say, Hey, listen, I'm going to sell my home. And I'm upset because that buyer's agent came in here. And they essentially whittled me down on a price. And I'm paying them to do that. And the logic there is that you're saying that that buyer's agent leveraged that negotiation ability. And they did that to get your price lower. And also you had to pay them. The reality is, if your home was negotiated down, it's probably overpriced to begin with. And let's face it, a lot of people do overlist their homes. Number two, what you're not disclosing in these records right now is what was wrong with the home? Like, was there something wrong with the home? And I think that that's something that'll probably come up as it's in trial right now, but rarely do you see, you know, uh, rarely does a buyer's agent go in and go, man, I can't wait to get in there and negotiate this price lower. That's typically not how that works. So the logic's slightly flawed there, but nonetheless, it is is on its way to the courtroom. And so what was interesting to me is that the counsel, like the the counsel for the plaintiffs wrote in a pretrial brief, he said, and, and I quote, he said, the setup defies basic economic common sense and does not and should not exist in a market of free restraints. Essentially what he is saying is this, is that this, old adage of the way we do business it doesn't allow for what they call free market constraints because they're saying that I the seller am having being held captive because I'm paying for both sides fees and because I'm paying for both sides fees I have to deal with whatever buyer's agent comes to the table and I got to pay them to do that and so what they're suggesting in this besides the 4 billion dollars in damage what they're suggesting is that moving forward that you the seller would only pay your agent for the particular home that you're selling. And any buyer's agent that brings a buyer to the table, the buyer would now pay that real estate agent's fee. You can probably see where the problem starts to unfold there. The challenges start to unfold. One of the things that NAR voted on back in its policies of 2021 was adding requirements to display the commission on the multiple listing services known as the MLS and prohibiting buyer brokers from advertising their services as free. Now, think about this, if you're a buyer's agent, right, and this was what was happening. If your fee was being covered by the seller, and the buyer essentially didn't have to pay for your services, they were saying it was free. And in 2021, NAR said, Mm-mm, we're not gonna do that anymore. And so I understand why they did that. And that makes complete sense, because someone is technically paying for that. Um, but from a from a simplistic standpoint, I could see how a buyer's agent could have said that is a free service to the buyer, when in fact, it's not because that service is covered by the seller, and it's in the cost of the home. So that's why that was stopped doing that. Now, A couple things we know about this lawsuit already. We know that two of the defendants anywhere, which is also known formally as Rilogy and REMAX, both have settled before this trial even started. It started on October 16th. Here we are on October 30th. So they're 14 days into the trial already. And those two settled before it even went to the courtroom. Rilogy settled for $83.5 million dollars and REMAX settled for $55 million. And you've got to ask yourself this question because I've asked myself this since I saw the headlines. Why would they do that before? Why would they go ahead and just say, nope, we're out of here, we're not going to deal with it? Well, probably because they don't want the negative press and it's probably worth $83.5 million to trilogy just to get this out of the way and move on because what happens is on the other side of this, if they were to lose and they're named as a defendant in this lawsuit, there could be significant damages from a form of 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 a financial penalty plus just how it could look in the public point of court of appeal, you know, just it could look bad. So it's interesting to me, because what they did on this class action is, you know, if you've been a part of a class action, or you you know, you've you've gotten stuff in the mail, whether it's from, you know, this telephone company, Apple, name it, whatever, you know, video games, you name it, we've all gotten before that letter that comes in the mail, that says, Hey, if you did this between this time and this time, you have the ability to join a class action lawsuit, call here, fill this out for more details. Well, in this particular case, the class action has included hundreds to thousands of homeowners who have sold a property from april 29th 2015 all the way up to current present date in the missouri territory of the mls now when i think about it, that's that's a lot of people just specifically in that area that are on this so the trial started a couple details about the trial started on october 16th it's expected to last three weeks we're already two weeks into it so we got one more week left it's a panel of nine jurors seven are men two or women and the witnesses in this particular case, which are, you know, important are NARS with National Association of Real Estate Agents or National Association of Realtors, CEO, Home Services CEO, which is one of the defendants. And then Keller Williams is co-founder is also one of the star witnesses um, in this particular case. And then what, you know, we don't get many details because it's not broadcasted live, but if you want for kind of daily updates, NAR is posting daily updates about what's going on in the trial. So, here's how we got here, right? We, t- we got here because we have some sellers that feel like, hey, listen, my home price was adjusted based on negotiations to someone that I paid to do something against me on my behalf. Now, if you're a seller, you could probably see how that might be a challenge, right? That's the, that's the picture that's being painted. I'm not sure that's what the outcome is going to show, but that's what the picture is being painted. Now, here's some things that could happen because of this. Here's some speculative I guess possible outcomes if you may have what I think could happen here. So the plants are asking for a 1.3 billion dollar refund of real estate fees that they paid outside of their sale to a buyer's agent. They're looking for a total of four billion in dollars and four billion dollars in damages, and regardless of what happens, you could probably expect a lengthy outcome of an appeal if this goes through, but NAR has already had their fair share of losses because of this potential outcome. Let's kind of go through this is interesting. So anywhere in Remax, both settlers I talked about, one for 83.5, the other one for 55 million. They both went to a settlement fund for both trials, for both cases, the Sitzer and Burnett, and then the Christopher Morrill as well. They also have had to make changes to their business practices, which I think are interesting, both those companies, uh, Rilogy and Remax, which have not been disclosed yet. But if I had to guess, it's probably going to be this, this whole uh, zero fee situation that we're going to really talk about here. And of these things, the biggest, the biggest challenge is that both these companies said, you don't have to be a part of NAR anymore they're allowing people to get out of NAR. And on the heels of that, Redfin earlier in the month pulled completely out of NAR over this whole situation. And you're starting to see other companies debate whether or not they should or should not be a part of NAR. Because if you think about this, if you're paying money into this association that's supposed to be basically representing the entire populace of your profession, and they're not standing up for you here, and they're not going to court and fighting for you, and they're not lobbying for you right now, why on earth are you paying them? And that's the message that's coming out of a lot of these different brokerages. I gotta tell you, I don't blame them because the reality is this. If NAR is not fulfilling what you're paying them for, that would be no different than me signing up for let's say Netflix and Netflix for whatever reason doesn't work. I don't need to continue paying pay them, like give me my money back. And I think that's what's happening here. That's why so many uh, brokerages are considering to not be a part of NAR moving forward here. So you've had some big ones already get out. And don't forget, you know, it wasn't, I think maybe a month ago that in Massachusetts, their MLS, which is called Penn MLS, it settled for a $3 million lawsuit with the same plaintiffs I'm naming right now. So you're having multiple cases in multiple jurisdictions starting to settle and settled is not an admittance of guilt. But I will tell you this, you wouldn't settle on something if you didn't think There's a possible risk on the other side. And I think that's some of the messages being sent with some of these settlements that are taking place right now. And then another one that's lingering is this the Department of Justice, the DOJ could absolutely reopen an investigation that they started back in 2021 for an anti basically a a, a monopoly basically uh, against NAR essentially. And in this particular case, It was an antitrust lawsuit that they had out there. Now they did settle and they're fighting this settlement right now with a federal judge because the federal judge says, hey, you've already settled, you can't reopen this case, but they're fighting the terms of that settlement. They're trying to get out of that settlement. And if they do, well, this could be another issue for NAR if the DOJ steps in, I'm not saying they will, but that is looming out there and there are significant headwinds showing that they are trying to get back in the mix in regards to some of their antitrust questions that they had. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. The team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family, and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. So about this time in the YouTube video, you're looking up going, Hey, wait a minute. The background's different. Your different clothing, what the heck's going on? Well, so that original part of the podcast you heard, we recorded less than twenty-four hours ago. And within that time frame, a verdict had already come out. And we did not anticipate that. So to be as live and, and, and up to date with our audience as we possibly can, we don't want to talk about what could happen. We don't want to talk about the, you know, if a verdict comes out, the 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 ideology of what it could be, because it already came out, it happened. So yesterday, a significant blow was given in this court case in uh, in the Sitzer Burnett one in Kansas City. And what happened was that no Nar was fined and 1.783 billion dollars, as well as um, as well as Keller Williams and the other defendant as well. You know, Homebuyers of America. And so, the challenge is that now, how do you overcome that? There's a lot of questions that are asked because this took place in Missouri, and then immediately once that was delivered, that same attorney, that same two individuals went after other agencies um, across the country. And that was EXP, United, uh, United Real Estate. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's almost as if like, hey, listen, the the barn doors have been open. And so I do think this is going to go to appeals. I mean, NAR has already made comment that they plan on appealing this and tying it up for years to come. I'm sure the other defendants will do the same thing. But that's not going to stop these cases taking place in other states. And and that's what's interesting. These are State specific cases. You know, you got Moeller on the backside that we discussed earlier in the podcast that's taking place in Minnesota. You know, so I think it's a matter of time until other states pick up on this as well. But I do want to say this. There's a couple of things to evaluate here that have kind of come out of this that I think are extremely important to evaluate. Number one, this is information that is going to the real estate industry. You know, if you're a real estate agent, you've probably already know about this or you're definitely hearing about it right now. Same thing if you're on the lending side of things. But the consumer, it's gonna take months for this to get its way to the consumer. And I think there's two potential outcomes that are immediate outcomes that will happen. I think contracts may be modified at a state level or an association level, if you may. And I think you're going to have a section on the seller where the seller is going to have the choice to say, I'm going to pay commissions to the listing agent and to the buyer's agent, or I'm not going to pay any buyer's agent commission. And I think that that is how this is going to go moving forward. I think sellers are now going to be presented a choice. There'll be some sort of explanation to that, and they'll make one of two choices. Now, I do want to say this. I think there's significant value to the buyer's agent. And I think it would be a shame for that to kind of become a burden of the buyer, Because, you know, buyers agents do a great job of bringing buyers to a seller's property and helping them identify the benefits of that and finding the right home that that buyer is wanting. And if you eliminate that incentive for that buyer's agent to do that, that could actually hurt the value of the seller's property. I think that's one of those unintended consequences that's going to come from this. I also think that as we get into the lending features, you know, let's talk about VA loans, for example. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest thing that's jumping off the table to me is that, you know, the... The VA loans, in those particular loans, the Veterans Affairs do not allow for buyers at any level to pay any brokerage commission to real estate agents on the buyer side. So who's going to pay that? Are we going to get a HUD exemption? What does that look like? I also think if you dive further into the FHFA, you know, and you look at those governing bodies that take care of Fannie and Freddie, I don't think Sandra Thompson and her team over there are going to go, Hey, you know what, let's just, uh, let's modify the program to where we can absorb buyer fees in there. I don't see that happening. They already allow 3% seller concessions up to 6% seller concessions, So it's already there for it to be done. I don't think they're going to modify that any further than what you already see and take on additional risk, just so they can absorb the buyers real estate commissions. If you recall, there's a huge initiative under the administration right now and FHFA for affordable lending uh, and affordable home buying. And, you know, to absorb more fees for that buyer, that, that kind of goes against the whole platform. So I don't see that happening. Um, but I do see the, the first two things being the contract being modified to where the seller gets to make the choice. Now, if you're a seller, you know, one of the things you have to look at is if I could create a bigger opportunity a bigger pool of buyers. And that cost to me was anywhere from two to 3% of the sale of my property. The question becomes, can I sell my home for more than the fee that I'm actually delivering out there versus you know paying not paying that fee at all? And I think that's a question that many sellers are gonna have to understand and many listing agents are gonna have to present um, to that seller. I also think here becomes another unintended consequence. Imagine consumer direct now this is something that's really interesting to me because in the time frame in which we made the original portion of this to when I got a chance to think about this and hear some narrative on this later on consumer direct becomes something that's really interesting because it's going to take consumers a little while to digest and understand what's going on. But it could happen faster than the six months I said. All it takes is an influencer to get online, a couple of reels, you know, uh, a story, uh, something on social media that says, hey, sellers, did you know you don't have to pay the buyer's portion of the real estate? I mean, that's how that headline's got to go. And if that happens, this narrative could pick up much faster than I anticipate. But it comes and poses this potential thought you know, if I'm a buyer, you know, do I just call directly the sellers listing agent? Do I now go online and when I because because consumers, you know, consumers are getting smarter by the minute, but they're also sometimes aren't as smart as they think they are. And so sometimes they think there's this level of avoidance, well, I can just cut out the middleman and go directly to the, you know, (laughs) just go straight to the the source. And the reality is, that's not one of these situations. And so I think a consumer is going to experience a little bit more harm than good during this time. You know, and I also think that if a consumer goes directly to a listing agent, let's imagine a moment where rates drop, let's imagine a moment where we go from 8% to 5%. And maybe that's a year down the road, maybe it's a little further down the road. But all of a sudden, what if the listing agent's getting 30 different phone calls from 30 separate buyers? How on earth does that listing agent know which one of those buyers is well-qualified or not well-qualified if they have no representation to explain that? All they have is a pre-approval. That's going to be a lot more work on the listing agent side, and it's going to be much more difficult for them to filter through the offers to understand who's the best offer without some sort of representation on the other side. I think that's going to be an unintended consequence. And so then there's this there's this notion that FHA, you know, provided a memo almost a year ago to the date where they were allowing agents to also represent the buyer, if you were an agent on the transaction, so you could get paid two ways. Um, and, you know, when that rule came out, it was kind of blown out of proportion, you know, you had lenders going, Oh, my God, the agent can now be the lender. And you had agents going, Oh, my God, like, you know, the the, the, the lender now could be a real estate agent. And it kind of blew over because I think what we found out was that lenders like being lenders and agents like being agents, right. But it does pose some sort of uh, how can I say, like, um, consumer watchdog, if you may, because what you wouldn't want is you wouldn't want the listing agent to also appear to be the lender on this transaction, because then, then you could have a potential issue, you know, a, just an ethics issue alone, that if all these offers came through, and if one of those offers happened to be the one that you were associated with on the lender side, you, know, you accept that one. And there, there's some unintended consequences that come from this. And so I think there's some some more deeper dives that have to be done. I know that the CFPB has reached recently been made aware of multiple issues, multiple unintended consequences, and I'm sure they're going to make their rulings on that to kind of be that watchdog that I'm referring to. But this stuff will take time. And so between now and then we're going to have some areas where things fall through the crack, and it's going to create some sort of uncertainty. But again, I'll go back to the fact that I think the first two things that will happen is the contract and the modification of the contract. And and buyer's agents having to have some sort of conversation if the seller chooses not to pay the buyer's compensation, brokerage compensation, the buyer's agent is now going to have a conversation about, you know, my fee is this, and this is a buyer brokerage agreement that you'll be signing, understanding that at closing I will be compensated this based on what we agree upon. This could be one, two, three percent. Now, keep in mind, as we stay, as we talk right now nationwide, the average buyer's brokerage commission is between two and three percent. So, I don't think it's so much like cash buyers, I don't believe, you know, even all the way down to, to millennials. I don't think that's where the issue is going to be. I think Gen Z is going to be the issue in this right now. Um, because they're the real first time homebuyer. Now you got a few millennials, you know, t- years left of first time homebuyers next three years. But I think that that's going to be your, your biggest challenge of trying to talk about buyer broker or buyer brokerage agreements, because they may not have the money, They just may not have the funds to pay closing costs down payment and a buyer brokerage agreement. And that's where I think a seller really just has to say, Listen, this is the way I'm going to play the game, I'm going to position myself to get the best offer on this home. But I'm also going to create the widest audience possible. And you would do that if you if you have that dual compensation in the agreement versus just a listing compensation. And I know, I'm not an expert in real estate um, by any means, and I'm not a licensed real estate agent. I do know quite a few of them and I've had great conversations about this. And again, I'll go back to, there is such a need for a buyer's agent in this market in these markets moving forward, it's just the representation alone is something that a buyer beware, you know, when you look at Fisbos and you look at buyers buying a Fisbo without agents, I can tell you from a lender side, those are some of the biggest debauchery of deals, because there's things that need to happen that fall through the cracks. Um, sometimes there's representation that's not put in there correctly. And you know, and if you go off and write your own agreement, that's also a danger zone as well. So whenever we've seen that, that's been an issue. Um, There also is this notion that if, you know, I I go back to like 2010, you know, when they changed the lender compensation agreement, you know, that was kind of a moment in which a lot of lenders got out of the business. Um, A lot of licensed MLOs got out of the business because it went from a per fee, you know, that you would charge on a loan to now just paid based on volume at a set rate. A lot of people got out of the business, but the business adapted. And people got back in and it thrived and it's grown. Same thing with real estate. Real estate's faced its challenges. This is just another challenge that they're going to face, and adaptation will come from this and it'll thrive and it'll continue, but it'll take time for that adaptation to happen. You know, and I go back to, you know, and, and I, I go back to that topic that I said earlier in the podcast about, you know, when costs are cut, the consumer never wins. And I'll go back to that and stand behind that, that anytime you look at where situations where costs are cut, and that's what's happening in this case, costs are being cut, um, the consumer typically loses. And I do worry that'll end up being the case here in this particular situation. And there's so many more things to come from this, but I'll go back to the final thing I said a minute ago is that adaptation will happen and this industry will continue to thrive and what i will say to real estate agents on this is that i wouldn't hit the panic button at all because this will be tied up in a pills court for quite some time but i do think it will come down through the mls systems and at some point i think it'll get to the consumer and when it gets to the consumer that's when we have to have our 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 whole essential not pitch, but knowledge base of what we're talking about as to why this is the best deal for the consumer moving forward here. So guys, if you like what you're hearing, please share this podcast, five-star review. If you would leave some comments, uh, definitely on the YouTube channel at What's Your One More. Love all the feedback we're getting on there. Uh, it helps us kind of supply the next episode and talk further about things. And then if you would check us out on Apple, Spotify, Google, or Amazon. And again, five-star review our podcast. we greatly appreciate it. Till the next time, we'll see you guys at What's Your One More. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I said it. Now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put all into it. Yeah.